The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan, and this week we have an audio edition of our original true crime series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, which profiles crimes committed by those closest to the victim. We're looking at the 1992 murder of an Atlanta homemaker who was killed in front of her two young children. Police were left with the question, who would want her dead? The answer may lie in a safe belonging to her husband. Have a listen. This is the Court TV Podcast. Sarah Tokars had not an enemy in the world. Why would somebody want her done away with? What a man. Don't try to with me. It was just a story of greed and power. She told me she found bank accounts in Montserrat, Nassau. You were a thief. I was. You were a counterfeiter. I was. You were a liar. That's true. It's a no-win situation. And it doesn't make any sense. It could really have happened anywhere, but 30 years ago in Marietta, Georgia, it seemed unlikely. Scratch beneath the surface of any American town, and you'll find that sometimes people may not be what they seem. When Sarah Tokars was brutally murdered in front of her two young sons, that truth became shockingly clear. This was an area of Cobb County that was all homes, residential, no businesses, had very little crime. I got a call to get up to Cobb County, which is north of the city. There was a uh, terrible killing that had occurred. It happened in a place where that doesn't happen. It happened in affluent East Cobb, and the facts were just almost unbelievable. When I heard there was a homicide of a young housewife, Sarah Tokars, I went out to the scene. A mother gets killed with her two children in her car. A beautiful young lady. I don't believe there was ever a nasty thing said about her. You had a very successful attorney. You had a beautiful wife. Fred Tokars lived in a very nice neighborhood, drove nice cars. He lived well. I thought, and so did some of the police at the time, that um, maybe it was a robbery. At the crime scene, detectives had a preliminary interview with the oldest of the two boys, which was Ricky Tokars. He was six years old at the time. Mike was four. We were going to have to rely heavily on what Ricky Tokars could tell us. Sarah was visiting her parents in Bradenton, Florida, with her boys. They were driving home after Thanksgiving weekend, got home late Sunday night. A black male met them at the door going into the kitchen, and he was carrying, as Rick said, a pirate gun. The male ordered them all back into the car. Sarah was driving. The assailant got into the back seat directly behind Sarah as they drove out toward the main road. 
the assailant, told her to turn right into a dead-end street. Then the gunman shot her in the back of the head, killing her instantly in front of her two sons. She slumped over the steering wheel. The car veered from the right-hand lane across the left-hand lane and in left-hand lane and into the open field where it came to rest. Ricky got his brother out of the car, and they ran for help to the house that was closest to the field. Rick really was the only eyewitness that could really tell us what happened. He was very consistent in his story. It never changed. The detectives at the scene felt that it was very important that we get back to the home, which was less than two miles from where her vehicle was found. They felt that there might have been a home invasion and we could find some evidence that somebody had broken in. Some curious things were discovered. First of all, there was no tearing apart of drawers open and shut. There were no clothing strewn throughout the floor or other items. And probably the most curious thing that the police discovered was that the house had a sliding glass door from the kitchen dining area out to a back patio. It was unlocked. There was a pole that would be put in the track to keep the door from opening. The pole was not in the door, so it was very clear that there was no forcible entry. It just did not add up to a botched robbery. It didn't seem like it was a burglary. Why would there be a person there at the house without a car? And then there was a thought maybe it was a revenge killing and that it was a client that was angry at him. Fred was a very well-known lawyer. He had gotten a, a reputation doing some criminal defense work. Fred had represented some drug dealers who bought nightclubs here in Atlanta. So the initial thought was someone was paying him back for something he did. Sarah Tokars taught at her children's Catholic school. She had not an enemy in the world. Why would somebody want to take it out on her? It was clear that whoever shot and killed her didn't want to hold her for ransom, but wanted her done away with. He had very strange relationships with the people that were in the nightclub industry, drug dealers. These things started piling up, and that was a real red flag. Police have no weapon and no firm suspects, but what they do have is a surprisingly absent husband with a string of shady business associates. Could one of them have been trying to send a vicious message or even be settling a score? Investigators have a lot of unanswered questions for Fred Tokars, but first, they'll have to find him. Fred Tokars and Sarah knew each other from high school. They were from Buffalo, New York. Their fathers were doctors. And the Ambrusco, which was Sarah's maiden name, moved to Florida. The detectives found out from Rick that their dad had been down with them for Thanksgiving, but had flown home early because he had business. That's all we knew at that time. The police had located Fred in Montgomery. All we could do is notify him that his wife had been murdered. Sarah had a very close-knit family. Her parents and five sisters, they all immediately came in to Marietta to find out what happened to their sister and their daughter. The church and the Ambrusco family and neighbors of Fred and Sarah's put up 
a reward. A telephone call came into the Cobb County Police Department from a young lady who identified herself as Tuesday Rower. She was inquiring about the reward money. And her story started to really click with the evidence that the police had. She had a brother by the name of Curtis Rower. Tuesday said, Curtis got a gun from Eddie Lawrence, and that's where we first heard Eddie Lawrence. He came back with blood all over his sneakers and his clothes, and she helped him wash out his tennis shoes. When the homicide was publicized, Rower started hiding in the apartment where he lived with Tuesday. It was then that they arrested him. Curtis Rower was the man with the shotgun. He ended up being kind of the original weak link in their scheme. Rower confessed that he was the guy in the house and that he was doing it for a man named Eddie Lawrence. He admitted that he had been approached by Eddie and promised $5,000 if he would kill this woman. Eddie was brought in. Lawrence didn't cooperate in the beginning. Lawrence denied everything, but Rower said that Lawrence took him out there, drove him out there. It wasn't long before his attorneys came to us and said, what can we do here? And we said, Eddie's got to come clean, and Eddie did. The arrest came right before Christmas. Eddie Lawrence and Curtis Rower were arrested. It all seemed like it was almost solved then. Well, there's a one missing link. Curtis was talking right off the bat, but he had really nothing to offer. All he knew was he was told to go and kill this lady. So that was an incomplete picture. The only one with the complete picture, of course, was Eddie Lawrence. He was the middleman. He set up the killing. Eddie was a hustler. Fred had done some business with him. He had loaned him money, and then he had sued him, and then loaned him more money, and then sued him again. So those records started popping up. Investigators had some questions about Fred's business dealings, and then that started to be the theory that they ran with. In the earlier days, I would classify Fred as a person of interest. Right off the bat, the detectives did not like the way he was acting. When someone's killed, the first person the police usually look at is the husband. On the other hand, he was a grieving spouse. And I remember going to Sarah's funeral, and he was just walking up the aisle sobbing. And I remember turning to the person next to me, and I go, he didn't do it. Fred, in his answers to the police, was evasive on just, just regular things. What other associates did you know may have something against you or your wife? I don't know anybody of that nature. I'm a, a criminal defense attorney, but I don't know anybody has any grudges. He had very strange relationships with the people that were in the nightclub industry, drug dealers. These things started piling up, and that was a real red flag. That's when it started to focus on tow cars. They asked him, what's your relationship to Eddie Lawrence? And the investigators found out something pretty startling. We had a news conference out in front of my office, and I wrote what he was supposed to say. And in the middle of what he was supposed to say, he said a stupid thing.
With no real evidence uncovered yet, tying Fred Tokars to his wife's brutal murder, investigators nonetheless are honing in on him after some troubling inconsistencies in this gruesome story. Unlikely people seem to be increasingly connected in unexpected ways. Eddie Lawrence and Tokars were in business together. Lawrence had a business where he was refurbishing homes and things like that. And Tokars was a partner, a silent partner, but a partner. Eddie and Fred had been involved with a lot of questionable businesses. Everything from home remodeling to nightclubs that Eddie was kind of, for lack of a better term, a bag man for. The prosecution needed someone to tie Fred with the hitman and Eddie being the middleman, he was kind of the key. So he, he cut a deal with the prosecutors. Roa really couldn't throw Tokars under the bus. Lawrence did. The state said, we're gonna give you the death penalty. We're gonna fry you. And then Lawrence said, well, okay, I'll put Tokars in it. Eddie told them that Fred had wanted his wife dead. Fred said, I've got to do away with my wife. She knows too much. Eddie said, for the right money, I can find somebody, and he found Curtis Rower. The police immediately went back to Fred and said, do you know somebody by the name of Eddie Lawrence? And Fred kind of brushed it off. Right then, the detective said, I think we're on the trail to who's behind all this. Fred Tokars lived a double life. On the one hand, he was a part-time municipal court judge, it was very politically connected. Obviously, he practiced law in a high-profile manner. On the other hand, he represented drug traffickers and drug dealers. And not only did he become actively involved in setting up the nightclubs, he liked to party at the nightclubs. Sarah Tokars became aware of the dark side of the man that she had married and his proclivities to engage in sexual activities with other women, and she was going to seek a divorce. Fred had different relationships in the past, and his marriage had been on the rocks. Sarah became frightened to death. He always told her, if you divorce me, you're not going to ever see your sons again. I'm powerful. I know people. Sarah had looked into a safe that he had and found some documents. Sarah Tokar's first cousin, Mary Rose Taylor, was present in the Tokar's residence when Sarah had discovered the safe was unlocked. These documents identified offshore bank accounts in the Turks and Caicos Islands in the Caribbean. It would appear hundreds of thousands of dollars had been deposited offshore into these accounts, which Fred Tokar's control. We were trying to find out, is he just squirreling maybe some dirty money away? Well, all of a sudden, our investigators get a call from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Atlanta that they had been conducting a very in-depth investigation into a criminal ring laundering drug money through nightclubs in the Atlanta area. They found out that Fred was the lawyer for the people running that club and that he was involved in the money laundering of drug funds. The Fed said we had a parallel investigation of Fred and Eddie Lawrence. Fred, I think, thought he was smarter than the people who would be investigating him. 
It was getting close to Christmas. Things were really heating up, and the finger was pointing towards him. And then he said a stupid thing. We had a news conference out in front of my office, and I wrote what he was supposed to say. And in the middle of what he was supposed to say, he looks up, and he says... He started to think of the lifestyle that I was losing. Not only my wife, but my, my whole lifestyle. I wanted to knock him out. That's what I was thinking. How can I punch him before it came out of his mouth? Well, he says, my whole lifestyle has changed. And everybody just immediately, my telephones erupted, the police department, people calling in, what do you mean your lifestyle? Your wife just got murdered and you're worried about your lifestyle? It was just such a curious unmasking of this person. We then said, Fred's our suspect. Things were looking bad for Fred. His partner, Eddie Lawrence, had been arrested, so Fred felt like he, he was the hunted one. That's when the smoking gun happened. Fred was still trying to maintain a semblance of a relationship with Sarah's family. Fred agreed to go to Florida with the boys during the holidays. One day, Fred comes to the door of the motel and says, I'm not feeling very good. So if you all go to Bush Gardens, I'll just stay here. When Dr. Ambruska got back to the motel, they banged on the door of Fred's room, got no answer. Dr. Ambruska got the manager to unlock the door, and Fred was unconscious on the bed. He had ingested pills to kill himself. Dr. Ambruska actually revived him and sent him to the hospital. Frederick Tokar was found unconscious in a hotel room today, December 24th. He is now in fair condition. His vital signs are stable. And he recovered. He left a suicide note. It was all about me, 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 not poor Sarah, not poor boys. Never said I did it, but just my life is over. The pressure was tremendous on him. And then when he attempted suicide, that didn't help him publicly. There was some thought whether it was a real attempted suicide or he was just trying to mitigate his involvement. It was very clear from the timing of Eddie's arrest and questioning by the police and Fred wanting to commit suicide that he was worried to death that Eddie had told something about his involvement. That's when I said to the detectives, let's go get a warrant for Fred. He's just sealed his fate. Let's face it, Eddie Lawrence and Curtis Rohr weren't the best witnesses. You'd have done anything that would have been to your advantage back then, wouldn't you, Mr. Lawrence? With Fred Tokars finally in custody after Eddie Lawrence has fingered him as the mastermind of Sarah's grisly murder, it's time for the prosecution to lay out its case in court. Tokars was rushed into the federal courthouse building in Atlanta this morning a little more than two hours after he left South Florida. The thing that made this such a horrific crime is that not only was it a murder, but it was done in front of her two sons. That was the thing that gripped the, the city. And by the time the trials came around, there was 
palpable anger against Fred Tokars throughout the Atlanta metropolitan community. Fred Tokars could not get a fair trial in Cobb County, Georgia. So it was moved to Walker County, Lafayette, Georgia. All right. Most importantly, what we were concerned about when there was a uh, change of venue granted was to get to a community that had not been infected by the Atlanta media. Please be seated. Thank you. I find people in this part of the state to be highly and ruggedly independent thinkers. He will get a fair trial here. State of Georgia versus Frederick William Tokars. The citizens of Georgia charge and accuse Frederick William Tokars with the offense of murder. On the prosecution side, you had Tom Sharon, who was the elected DA, had been the DA since he was 27 years old, and particularly experienced in death penalty cases. Let's start our opening statements. I'll call on the district attorney, Mr. Tom Sharon. Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the evidence will show you a corrupt conspiracy between three individuals, Eddie Lawrence, Curtis Rower, and Fred Tokars. It is a case that the evidence will show you deals with ambition, blind ambition. The defendant wanting to get ahead, to exercise his political power and control people. It is a case of greed and it's a case of betrayal. Fred put together a pretty formidable team. We knew that we better be on our game. We had Jerry Froelich, a very fine lawyer, really passionately believed in Fred's innocence. And then you had a very fine local attorney, Jimmy Berry, who tried a lot of death penalty cases. Attention, because this is the most serious case that anyone can ever sit on, because they want to kill him. And let me tell you something, that is dead serious. Please state your name, ma'am, and where you live. My name is Mary Rose Taylor, and I live in Atlanta. Fred supposedly had some offshore accounts where he was spiriting money so it wouldn't be detected. She told me she found documents indicating bank accounts in Montserrat, Nassau, and the Turk Caicos Islands. And she told me that there were incorporation papers for companies with unusual names. They argued that he was laundering money offshore. I mean, there was so much that they threw at him. Did you ever tell her you suspected money laundering? Among other things, yes, sir. Tom Sharon has stated publicly many times that if he didn't ask for the death penalty for Fred Tokars, he could never ask for it for anybody. Dr. Frisch, did you have occasion to examine Mrs. Tokars herself as to any injuries that you could see? Yes, I did. And could you tell us what, if anything, you found? I noted that, noted that she had a, a shotgun wound to her head. I was able to follow the multiple pellets that had entered into the skull. They entered the cranial vault where the brain sits and caused extensive hemorrhage and laceration of the brain tissue. Doctor. In reference to 410 shotgun shell, your findings are based upon the fact that it was a two and a half inch shell, correct? The My findings at the autopsy were what they are. There was multiple pellets buried shot within the brain. With that information, I know that this woman was shot with a shotgun and it was buried shot. 
No question. The defense had the knives out. We knew that we had to call some very unseemly witnesses. Their credibility was going to be in question. I'd like to ask you if you ever had occasion to come in contact with the defendant in this trial, Fred Tokars. Yes, ma'am, I did. I was standing outside approximately five minutes. A long stretch black limousine pulled up. When I came over to the car, the back door opened. The gentleman in the back, who is Fred Tokars, asked me, was I working? And I said, yes. And he asked me to, you know, I asked him, did he want a date? And he said, yes. So I got into the car. He wanted oral sex for $100. After I performed oral sex, he asked me, well, did I know any drug pushers who could kill his wife? At the time, I really didn't think anything about it. You know, it kind of scared me. They brought in this prostitute who told, I thought, the most ridiculous story of the whole thing. She claims she's standing downtown and a limousine pulls up. Tokars is sitting in the back seat and says, I'll pay you some money if you can get me a hitman to kill my wife. You remember telling the officers that he had too much to lose, mainly his dance business? Is that what he said? When he did say something about a dance business, I have also been a strip dancer, and I made the comment that I could help him with, with the dance business, but I couldn't help him with anything other than that. I assume that you got his name, didn't you? No, sir, I don't remember getting his name. Yeah, Not at the time. Don't remember getting the name? Mm -hmm. And uh, you didn't get a card from him or anything so that you could... You decided you wanted to dance again, you could get a hold of this person again? Sir, after he made the statement and asked me the question, did I know anyone who could help kill his wife, I was ready to get out of the car. I didn't wish to have anything else to do with him. We had tried Rower first. We had Curtis admitting to the killing, saying it was accidental. Well, that's still murder, because you're in the act of another felony kidnapping. And the jury came in and said, we can't reach a verdict. The foreman said, I don't think he did it. He told me that it was his wife and that she was standing in the way of a lot of money. He told me that it had to be done in the house. It made it look like a burglary. According to the defense, Fred Tokars did not do this. He was being set up by the middleman, Eddie Lawrence. Eddie Lawrence had taken the deal or the plea of the century, and the state wanted to get Fred Tokars so badly, they basically sold out. Whose initial idea was it to? Kill Sarah Tokars. Fred Tokars. Eddie Lawrence confessed that Fred Tokars had solicited him to hire uh, a person to kill Sarah, that Sarah posed a threat to him. He asked me if I would kill someone, and I replied that if my life was threatened, yes. When he mentioned that it was his wife that he wanted to kill, I asked him why. What did he say? That she was going to divorce him and she was going to take everything that he had. Let's face it, Eddie Lawrence and, and Curtis Rohr weren't the best witnesses, but their statements seemed to corroborate the police investigation that this was a setup killing. Fred set it in motion. Eddie was the middleman to find Curtis Rohr, and Rohr was just the hitman. How long after you went to the defendant to hire him because you were a subject of a counterfeiting investigation, did you and the defendant become business partners? 
Within a month, it was going to be a, a legal business used to launder illegal proceeds, drug money, any type of profits from crime, in other words. Eddie's story increasingly corroborated his relationship with Fred. Who got you to set up the murder of Sarah Tokars? Fred Tokars. And who was to pay you for the killing of Sarah Tokars? Fred Tokars. I thought there was a lot of damage we did to the prosecution's case. But Lawrence was up there, and he, he was a con man, and he was very good at what he said and what he did. You'd have done anything that would have been to your advantage back then, wouldn't you, Mr. Lawrence? I would have did a lot. You would have killed. I lied, did. I did do that. I did that. You were a thief. I was. You were a counterfeiter. I was. You were a liar. That's true. A murderer. That's true. Is there anything that you can think of that you would not do back at that period of time in your life? Yes. What would it be? I don't hurt children. I don't hurt old people. Well, that leaves me out. We felt confident in the case we had, but here's where the difficult thing came in. I had to call Ricky as a witness in the Rower case. Obviously, he couldn't say anything about what his dad was involvement in, but we needed his testimony. Had you packed the car up with your mom and Mike? Yes. And did you go anywhere at that time? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the state has clearly and passionately laid out its case against Fred Tokars, but it relies on the testimony of some deeply unsavory characters, not the most credible key witnesses. Now it's up to the defense to use that vulnerability in the prosecution's case to sway the jury with reasonable doubt. Even though the family gave me permission to utilize Ricky, I said, I, I don't think I, I can live with putting that little boy up before his dad. Fortunately, Court TV and other news outlets taped his full direct examination and cross in Curtis's case. I went to the defense and I said, how about we play the tape of Ricky's testimony? And they, of course, agreed. To this day, I think I made the right decision. And you would have been how old back then? Probably six, maybe. Okay, and Mike would have been how old then? Four or five. Okay. The morning that you left, Rick, to come back to Marietta, do you remember that? Yes. Okay, and before you left, had you packed the car up with your mom and Mike? Yes. Okay. And did you go anywhere at that time? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you a little nervous? Okay. We had the assurance from child psychologists that Ricky was of such that they felt it may even be a, a cleansing for him to be able to testify on behalf of his mother. We got in the car. What happened when you got to the door, Rick? I think she opened it, or uh, the bad guy opened it, and uh, then he said, uh, everybody get in the car. Was he carrying anything at that time? Yes. And what was he carrying? A gun. Yeah. Tell, tell us what the gun looked like. Well, it was like a pirate gun. 
Ricky described the sawed-off shotgun as a pirate's pistol, kind of like the old-fashioned blunderbust that you see in the, the movies. It, like, goes up and it, like, goes down a little bit. You know the thing that the bullet comes out of? Yeah. That's it right there, and it comes back, goes down a little bit, comes, it curves down. After questioning Curtis about the pirate gun, he confirmed that he had a sawed-off 410-gauge shotgun. Obviously, the medical examiner confirmed that Sarah was shot with a 410 gauge shotgun. We got back in the car. He said, drive. And my mom goes, is it OK if I just drop you off here? And what did the man say? Don't try to with me. And what did your mom say? I'm not trying to with you. What happened after your mom said that back to the man? He shot the gun. And what did you do next? I sort of see if my mom was like still uh, awake or if she was dead. And then uh, I woke my brother up and... <laughs> you woke your brother up? Yeah, and then, uh, I told him we had to go get help. And then we went to go get help. He broke down, he cried, but he never deviated from his original statement to the police. People remember things better sometimes near when it happens than they do a lot later. Do you think you remembered better then or better now? What do you mean? The last thing you want to do is get the well, kid crying. I'm, Even if he's made a misstatement, you're not going to attack a kid. Well, I'm, I'm getting kind of old. So when I try to remember stuff that happened when I was a kid, I have trouble doing it. Yeah, but you know like how you, like, first time you hit a home run, mm -hmm. like that? Uh, you, like, always remember that, don't you? Yeah, it sticks out in your memory, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's, like, what it was when my mom and stuff. Some lawyers say, oh, anybody that says anything against my client, I got to attack. <laughs> no, you don't, because you got 12 people over there, and those jurors may not like that attack. State ready for closing argument? Defense ready for closing argument? Let's bring out the jury, please. As the case was winding down, we said, we've put up everything we got. We felt confident that the jury was going to agree with us. At this time, I'll call on the state of Georgia. Only from the bits and pieces of family members and friends and confidants were we allowed to have a glimpse of the personal horror of what Sarah Tokar has lived through from 1987 to her tragic murder in 1992. The storm clouds have parted, and now, once again, sunshine is streaming in because the truth has been told. It reveals the corrupt conspiracy set in motion by the defendant, Fred Tokars. You're going to do what's right, and that is administer fairly the only just verdict that's demanded and is cried out for in this case, and that's guilty of all counts. We didn't think the defense did that good of a job that we always feared they may to put a lot of doubt in people. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the state has the burden, the responsibility of proving this case to you, not to a reasonable doubt, but beyond a reasonable doubt. And the central theme of this case is Eddie Lawrence, because Eddie Lawrence is 
the state's case. If you don't believe Eddie Lawrence, then you must not and cannot find Fred Tokars guilty. Tokars told me from the beginning that he didn't do it. And when Rower was arrested, that he didn't know Rower. When Lawrence was arrested, he said that he knew Lawrence, but Tokars said he had nothing to do with the murder. I believe them. The issue is not whether he was having affairs or he was having prostitutes. The issue was, did he arrange to kill his wife? And we need to stick on that. Fred Tokars may be guilty of being not the best husband. He may be guilty of representing bad people. He may be guilty of adultery, but he's not guilty of murder. Thank you, Mr. Perry. I'll call on Mr. Cook, attorney at law. I don't think there's been a better defense team. Maybe O.J. had one, but not much better. Bobby Lee Cook's a legend. We might not be from Marietta or Atlanta, but we've got a lot of sense up here in these mountains and hills. We didn't fall off of a turnip truck, Mr. Chairman. And it doesn't make any sense, Eddie Lawrence. He's a liar, and he's a cheat. And he's a scoundrel. And if he told me it was raining, I wouldn't get my coat or my hat. You've got to believe everything that he says, or you've got to believe nothing that he says. I have seen enough sadness in trials to fill up this courtroom with tears. But I can say to this jury, I have never seen such an audacious liar in my life. State of Georgia versus Frederick William Tokars, defendant. Verdict, count one. We, the jury, find the defendant, Frederick William Tokars. The prosecution has mounted a formidable case against Fred Tokars, but his legal dream team has also presented a strong defense. Will the jury be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt of his involvement in the callous, premeditated murder of his wife? As the jurors deliberate, Fred Tokar's life hangs in the balance. Please be seated. I was notified about 15 minutes ago they have a verdict. I do not know what the verdict is. Mr. Foreperson, has the jury reached a unanimous verdict on all counts? In the Superior Court of Cobb County, transferred to the Superior Court of Walker County, State of Georgia. State of Georgia versus Frederick William Tokars, defendant. Verdict, count one. We, the jury, find the defendant, Frederick William Tokars, guilty of malice murder. He was guilty of the murder of his wife. He was also guilty of several other felony charges. You never know what a jury is thinking. Uh, you never know why they they sometimes come to decisions that they do. I thought they, they got there because of the overwhelming prejudicial things that happened, but also because of the publicity. I just think it, they got overwhelmed with badness, you know, that he's a bad guy. We're just delighted with the verdict because obviously what this trial has always been about is, did the defendant cause his wife to be murdered? Did he hire somebody or procure another to commit the murder? And that's what the jury has found. We felt very good about going into the death phase. If you feel that you're losing your emotional control, then please leave the courtroom. We're not gonna have any outburst whatsoever in the courtroom. It's just not proper. 
Bring in the jury, please. It was my very first death penalty case. This was certainly one of my biggest cases. It was sort of dangerous to assign this case to somebody that had never had one before, but you have to have a first one. If we don't get a not guilty, we got a death penalty that we got to try. I knew Tokar's mother was elderly and she was very believable and in his corner. And I knew we were going to put her on if we lost the, the trial and we had the death penalty. She got on and she cried and she said, you know, it's my son. I don't know if I can live without him. Please don't kill my son. I beg you to spare my son's life. For the past three years, the thought of life in prison without parole for Fred was something I would think about and find it was intolerable. I, I, I couldn't live with it. Today, I would eagerly accept it. They had her brother and his mother testify. The jury was out and out and out, and the bailiffs were telling us there was a lot of loud discussions in there. The form seems to be proper as to both the verdict as to sentence. I'm going to call on the clerk of the court to publish the verdict, please. We, the jury, have found beyond a reasonable doubt that one or more of the alleged statutory aggravating circumstances do exist, and we recommend a life sentence to be imposed. This, the 12th as it turned out, the jury for the death penalty hung 10 to 2, and then they gave him life with parole. I thought that was a fair sentence. There was a majority vote to give Fred Tokarth the death penalty, but in our state, you must have a unanimous decision. Tokarth was stunned. He put his head down and he hugged us all. Justice was served. The family always believed, I think, that he needed to get the death penalty. They never did get the death penalty. This entire experience is a very depressing, very discouraging experience. It's, 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 you know, I sort of feel that it's a no-win situation. Fred Tolkars went to prison for the rest of his life. Some people would argue that the jury should have given him the death penalty. I trust the jury. We couldn't ask any more than we ask of that jury. They sat there for 44 days, so I am certainly satisfied with their verdict. A lot of people thought we lost, and I don't think we lost. We kept them out of the chair. There were cases when the death penalty is warranted, and I tried a lot of death penalty cases successfully. But I always felt, look, once you do your best and you put the evidence before a jury, that's their decision. I'll never second guess a jury's decision. But I felt justice was served because the citizens of Cobb County got their day in court. We're just so thankful for justice. We're so eternally thankful, all of us from the bottom of our hearts. We're just so thankful for Sarah. Sarah Tokars is remembered. This is one of those cases that just about anybody who is here remembers it. It was